What kind of projects did you work on? Um, a lot of aircraft, aeronautical, and uh, medical devices. Are you still doing that now? Nope. No. Nope. Doing Jeep tours. Jeep tours, pet sitting, and landscaping. What got you into doing that? Um, I didn't know that people pay you money to drive around on a dirt road. <laughs> Once I figured that out, it rocks. Hi, I'm Takashi Wicks. And I'm Nikhil Thoda. And this is Tuna Pasta, a collection of conversations recorded across the United States where we look for stories and lessons on the road from the people and places we often pass by. Our drive to southern Utah was long, but we were recharged from our stay in Salt Lake City. And after a day of driving through the Red Rocks of Utah and four hours of hiking in Zion, we drove to our Airbnb in Cedar City, mile 4,936. Our digs for the night? A cozy little yurt underneath a native juniper tree in the backyard of a random young couple's house, lit by the desert stars. As we approached the front door of the house, something felt a bit off. All the doors were left open, all the lights were left on, and no one in sight. We stepped through the door and the peculiarity increased. To our left were miscellaneous bicycle parts, to our right were collections of herbs, plants, and gardening equipment, and straight ahead, a beautiful handcrafted charcoal painting with a Tupperware container full of fresh charcoal right underneath it. And then, we walked into the kitchen. There was a sink full of dirty dishes, a stovetop spotted with crumbs, a half-eaten Lay's bag with an additional two Chips Ahoy chocolate chip cookies inside, and a lone bowl of soaking quinoa in the corner. Basically, it was disgusting. Nevertheless, we got to work preparing our signature meal, tuna pasta. After we waited the recommended 10 minutes for our bow tie pasta to become al dente, we noticed that all the tables were occupied by in-progress paintings and cardboard statues. And on top of that, chairs were nowhere to be found, so our dining space? The kitchen floor. I woke up early, excited to shower, and not much to my surprise, the shower handle was broken, requiring use of the monkey wrench that sat on the floor of the bathroom to turn the hot water on. After my shower, I went straight out to the car, put on a podcast, and sat on the trunk, not too excited about going back in the kitchen to prepare breakfast. I woke up, not quite so early, and went into the house to brew some sweet tangerine, positive energy tea. The kitchen was spotless, a stark contrast from the night before. As I walked into the living room, I met our host Todd for the first time. He was in his mid-twenties, had long dark hair, and was clad with many detailed tattoos matching the look of Shannon, his girlfriend. His appearance, household, and incredibly calm and present demeanor all intrigued me. I wanted to learn who he was. My name is Todd Hansen, and I'm from, uh, from Utah. Yeah, this small town called Richfield. It's north of where we're at right now, about 200 miles in the desert. It's an amazing place. Can you describe where we're at currently? Currently, we're in Cedar City, Utah. Um, it's like southwestern Utah, and it's still high elevation, so it's not quite in the, on the Colorado Plateau, which is in the more like southern parts of Utah, like the almost out into Arizona. Right now, we're still in uh, we're still like six thousand feet of elevation, so the climate here is mm -hmm. a little bit cooler, more mountainous. So, um, can you tell me a little bit of why you decided to move to Cedar City? Well, there's a university like two blocks from here, mm -hmm. uh, Southern Utah University. Okay. And sometimes we're students, sometimes we <laughs> like to go, it's fun. We have a lot of friends here um, because we have lived here in the past. Um, right. 
good connection to the community because we we own a bike shop here. Okay, cool. And it's a kind of a seasonal, so like in the summertime, there's enough work for us to be here, so we do that. And um, most of the desert, <clears throat> mainly, that's the main reason we live in Cedar City is because the desert's so close, and we like to go backpacking and mm-hmm. hiking and rock hounding and stuff. On the road, Takashi and I discussed the differences in outdoor activities in the more humid Smoky Mountains versus the drier, more desert-like mountains in the West. I asked Todd about his take on the matter. Okay, well, it's it's hard to say. I, I do enjoy both. Mm-hmm. However, the desert is a lot more... I don't know. It's, it's, it's open and vast. And there's something about desert life because it's because it is so hard to live in the desert the plants there are so rugged and and i find that incredibly beautiful Mm -hmm. and mostly the way the sun sets and rises there is there's something really profound about a desert sunset or sunrise Um, maybe it's the lack of moisture in the air or the way the the landscape is so jagged and the horizon is so like distant and just like broken up something is so amazing about that and I think mm-hmm. that's what lures me the most. In this area, what's your what's your favorite area to experience that? Okay. Um if you go if you go east of here, so you go over this mountain you can see right here, it's the this range is called it's called Cedar Mountain and Cedar Breaks. So if you okay. go over this you get closer to Bryce Canyon mm-hmm. and it's more into central Utah. And then you keep driving east and you get out into like the west or the east deserts of Utah, which is on the Colorado Plateau is what it's called. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's this place called the San Rafael Swell and Green River, Utah, and Capitol Reef is out there too. It's, that's my favorite part of Utah. It's amazing. The reef is essentially this 2,000 foot tall, 40 mile long um, wall of rock that just juts out of the middle of the desert. Oh, that's super cool. It's amazing. It's full of slot canyons and tons of climbing and hiking and yeah. backpacking trips. Mm-hmm. And there's uh, the Colorado River runs through that and the Green River's out there as well. So Earlier in the conversation, Todd mentioned that they owned a bike shop. I asked him how he got involved with that. You own a bike shop here. Yeah. How'd you get involved with that? Um, mostly I just wanted to work on bikes yeah. and the bu- the other shops here aren't really busy enough to hire mechanics. Mm-hmm. The guys that own the shops run the workshop. And so I wanted to do it and I couldn't get a job with any of the other shops. So I decided to start, start around. Oh, that's super cool. Yeah. Do you like do it out of this house or do you have your own office somewhere? Yeah, we have a shop, um, kind of like downtown Cedar City. Like. Okay the main spot about two blocks from the university and right on main almost on main street it's right tucked back away just a little bit and we, we kind of like co-op with another store called cedar sports they're mm-hmm. like an outdoor rec store they have camping gear kayaks and canoes and paddle boards and back and like backpacks and canyoneer and climbing stuff mm-hmm. and then we have our space kind of in the same building and so it's it works really well for us because I don't have to pay rent or anything. I just trade them maintenance on their rental bikes. And then I run back shop for the community, which is really fun. That's cool. Yeah. So um, I would assume that, like the main reason that you got involved with that is because like you want to give back to your community and things like that, right? Yeah, actually, that's that's a lot of it. Ultimately, I want to start like a, a, co- a collective here in Cedar City where people can 
you know, kind of just go in and use our tools and our stands and have someone there who's knowledgeable and can help right. them fix their own bikes so they don't have to pay so much because, you know, bike repairs is kind of expensive for yeah. people who don't necessarily have a lot of money. And unfortunately, yeah. I can only charge so little to a point where, you know, I can't even afford to do it for them. Mm-hmm. So I have to charge a little bit. But if I if it was maybe being funded by something as a nonprofit or no donation based and we had a good solid space or perhaps we could partner at the university, um, that would be awesome that if we could turn really it cool. into a collective. So, yeah. My final question to Todd was the same that we had asked in all of our interviews. What is your greatest life lesson that you would want to impart onto someone else? What's like the biggest life lesson that you've learned that you would be wanting to impart onto somebody else? Mm. That's a great question. Actually, I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, the biggest thing that I've learned living in Cedar City, and it's not just a lesson I learned here, but I've learned it elsewhere too. Um, it's kind of like, no matter where you go, I've been traveling around a lot recently, no matter where I go, rather, I should say. Um, I find that people are just doing kind of the same thing, just in a different place. And I often get caught up in this really like heavy wanderlust feeling where I just mm-hmm. want to go, 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 or something something here starts getting hard, like the winter here is really hard, it's cold, it's dark all the time, you know, I don't want to go, I don't want to be here, and I find that I want to just run away from it, instead of sticking it out, and staying in school, or finishing school, or, you know, if something gets hard here, if something happens with a job, and I'm not liking it, or something, I just want to run away, but I'm finding that the biggest lesson I've learned in Cedar City, is that it's really important just to, like, persevere, and stick it out. And just be where you are. Right. Yeah. Thankfully, before we left, I had the chance to have an actual conversation with Todd, happy to recognize the mistakes in my previous assumptions. In our conversation, Todd recommended to me his favorite coffee shop, which in fact was on our way to Zion. River Rock Roasting Company, Mile 4,951. He said it was on the side of a cliff. We had to check it out. Now, if you want the experience of drinking a hot cup of locally brewed coffee on the edge of a canyon, River Rock Roasting Company provides just that. And I can say from experience, it is a pretty thrilling setting for intaking caffeine. Sadly, we realized we were out of range of the coffee shop's Wi-Fi, so we relocated to the upper deck. Less thrilling, but better Wi-Fi. As we sat there, planning our day in Zion and searching for our next campsites in Southern California, numbers of people cycled through the tables of the canyon view deck. A French couple planning their climbing trip in the canyons. A group of local teenagers catching up and gossiping about Laverkin drama. And a mother taming her five-year-old wielding a ham quiche. These people came and went, yet in the two hours we were there, one man did not cycle. He settled two tables away from ours, sitting with his red mug of coffee, staring at the blue sky. He would sip his coffee, pet his dog, then go back to observing the sky. For two hours we shared the deck with this man. After two hours, I finally decided to learn who he was. His name is Kevin. Uh, my name's Kevin. I live here in, uh, I live up in Virgin. Oh, and can you describe uh, where we're at right now? Where I'm at? Where, like where we are. Oh, right. where we are. Um, we're in the very southwest corner of Utah. It's known as Utah's Dixie. We're at the edge of the Colorado Plateau, the Mojave Desert, and the Great Basin Desert. They all collide right here. How long have you been living here? 
about a little over 15 years. Oh, really? Yeah. What did you do before that? Um, actually, I lived down in Arizona doing uh, research and development machinists. Oh really? What I did down there. What kind of projects did you work on? Uh, a lot of aircraft, aeronautical, and uh, medical devices. Are you still doing that now? Nope. No. Nope. Doing Jeep tours. Jeep tours, pet sitting, and landscaping. What got you into doing that? Um, I didn't know that people pay you money to drive around on a dirt road. <laughs> Once I figured that out, it rocks. What do you like most about it? Uh, the people, I, mean, I like meeting the people, and I love showing them this beautiful area, and I like taking them out into the back country. Like Not the main canyon in Zion. That's where everybody goes, uh, thank goodness for human nature, and they leave the whole rest of this area alone. Like basically everything, all that desert you're looking at out there, there's probably not too many people all out in all that beautiful scenery. Mm -hmm. So I, I prefer that. You prefer that to yes. Zion? Yeah. Uh, yes. Zion's too busy. I would like to take a moment to appreciate Kevin's appearance. He hardly fit the profile of a man working in research and development just a few years ago. He wore a long beard that reached all the way to the front collar of his shirt. No mustache. His face was tan, defined with the lines and wrinkles expected of a man spending days under the desert sun. His eyes were brown with an outline of blue. Now I remember this fact distinctly because he never lost eye contact, never distracted, always concentrated on the conversation at hand. I was curious to learn what happened between the machinist in Phoenix and the man sitting in front of me today. What was kind of your journey like to coming? You said like the scenery brought you out here, but can you describe more like what that journey really was? Yeah. I live down in Phoenix. I'm not a city boy, and I got tired of the city. Well, I was tired of it from minute one. One day I woke up and decided that even though I loved my job, I did not like the people I worked for or with, and I was done with all stressors in my life, and I decided it was time to get rid of the stress. So, time for something very different. Oh. Did you just drive up here and... Uh -huh. And you just settled down here? Mm -hmm. oh. Yeah. And then a uh, final question. Uh, from living here, so living here in for 15 years, what's the greatest life lesson that you've learned that you want to impart onto someone else? Get out of your house. Get away from the rent. I, can't, I camp out. I've been camping for about nine years on purpose. Uh, the rent is free. Property taxes are free. Uh -huh. And it's a great way to enjoy nature. And it's, it's a great way to free yourself from from a lot of stress, uh, money being the biggest stressor, being a huge stressor for people. Mm -hmm. Just do what you want to do with your life, work part-time, screw off a lot, enjoy yourself. I mean, it is a work day today. I'm not at work. I only work two or three hours a day. It gives me more than enough money. I'm going to Nepal for a month this winter. And I do it all on very little money, but I have very little expenditure. And once you figure that out, it buys you a lot of freedom, which I find fun. And there's more and more people that I'm finding that live alternatively, basically out of their van or in a tent or whatever by choice, um, not homeless, house free, and enjoying their life and enjoying the freedom and just the ability to be outside and be nomadic, which is kind of fun, actually. Well, thank you so much for having yeah, uh, are, are you doing this for a, a book or a paper? I stopped recording here, but I continued the conversation with Kevin after asking the final question. 
In part about his lifestyle, he said, quote, I don't believe society has all the answers. I believe we all have our own answers for ourselves. This upcoming generation saw their parents lose everything from the American nightmare, sorry, American dream, and now they're saying, let me explore another lifestyle, another answer, end quote. On the 14th day of our journey, having slept in a tent for 10 nights, not having showered for our first six, I found it difficult to fathom a comfortable lifestyle living in a tent for a week, let alone nine years. Yet when looking at Kevin, you would see a man who is content, living comfortably, and enjoying the luxury of life that comes with a cup of coffee in view of a canyon. He said to me, quote, I did the same thing you're doing now. Only thing is, my two-week trip became nine years. I just kept going. As long as I have dog food for her, some food for me, and a bit of beer, I am happy. I work with who I want, doing what I want. Zero stress in life. If you remove what you don't need, stress goes to zero. I'm reaching 60 now, and the amount of stress in my life is this. He put the tip of his index finger to his thumb, leaving his other fingers fanned out in the gesture of okay. Thank you so much for listening to our second episode of Tuna Pasta. If you made it this far, I appreciate you. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Stitchers, and also write us a review if you can. It would really mean a lot. You can tweet at us at Tuna Pasta Pod, or find us on Facebook at Tuna Pasta Podcast. If you are interested in sponsoring our podcast or just want to say hello, email us at hello at tunapastapodcast.org. If you would like to see photos and more info about each episode, please visit our beautiful website, tunapastapodcast.org. Again, that's tunapastapodcast.org. This episode was produced, edited, and recorded by myself, Nikhil Thoda, and myself, Takashi Wicks. This episode includes music from Nikolai Heitlis, Nicholas Gasparini, and Moises Feria. Special thanks to Yasmina Horozovic for editing help and Luke Olsthorn for producing our theme music. Hey, cuties! Shout out to Gonzi for being a great roommate. Keep working hard and hope you finish Game of Thrones before the premiere. Special thanks also to Todd and Kevin for the great conversations. We really appreciate it. Finally, shout out to Sarah Koenig for producing the soundtrack of this part of the trip with her podcast, Serial. If you haven't listened to that yet, how did you even find us? Go listen to it. It's, it's incredible. I'm your host, Nikhil Thoda. And Takashi Wicks. And thank you again for listening.